This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have a number of new developments tonight on the coronavirus outbreak in B.C., including a jump in the number of deaths in our province. The number of infections is up, too. Health officials say there are 55 new cases today, which brings the total in B.C. to 1,121 and six more deaths for a total of 31 victims. Keith Baldry has more on the new community outbreak and a message of hope from the province's top doctor. The number of people who are hospitalized is also growing, um, although thankfully by a small amount. COVID-19 cases continue to mount in BC, but things are not that bad yet. That, I truly believe, is part of the reason um, that we are seeing the growth in a manageable way here in BC is because of what everybody is doing together. There are now 149 people in hospital, an increase of seven overnight. 67 of them are in intensive care, an increase of just one. And 641 people have recovered, or 58% of all cases. Sadly, though, six more people have died of COVID-19 in this province. Here's an age breakdown of who is getting sick. The median age for all cases is 53 years, with a range of up to 102 years of age. In hospitals, the median age right now is 68, with a range of up to 98 years. And the median age for those dying is 85 years, with a range of between 64 and 94 years of age. And again, the worst outcomes are in some care homes, particularly Lynn Valley and Harrow Park. Health officers across British Columbia have taken the direction that uh, we need to move people to a single care home to work at, and that work is ongoing. It involves many thousands of people. And we now have a positive case in another facility where people live in close quarters to each other, an Okanagan correction facility. The person who became ill was isolated, and the people in the pod that he was in um, are all being monitored now. So far, there's no other um, cases, but it takes time, as we know, after an exposure where people can develop this disease. So ongoing outbreak protocols are in place. But Dr. Bonnie Henry ended today's briefing on a slight note of optimism. We don't want to jinx ourselves by saying this, but, you know, this is, I believe, uh, a factor of the fact that we put in quite uh, stringent restrictions quite early as we started to see um, the numbers of cases being in our community increasing. Um, this is our flattening of our curve, and we are hopeful that that will continue. We all are very hopeful that continues. Keith Baldry joins us now live. Another important note here uh, Keith is testing, and it appears to mm -hmm. be slowing down. How does Dr. Henry uh, explain that? Yeah, I get so many requests to, for me to ask certain questions of Dr. Bonnie Henry, and one, a number of them today and yesterday was about testing, because the number of tests performed each day had been ramped up to about between three and 4,000, but the last few days has tamped down a bit, just a little more than 1,300 yesterday, 1,100, I think, the day before. So I asked Dr. Bonnie Henry, why is that? And here's her response. 
Part of the reason why it has gone down is because we've essentially saturated the healthcare worker testing. So um, in particular in Vancouver Coastal, uh, where there was a lot of testing being done of healthcare workers who had uh, symptoms, particularly people who were involved in long-term care, that has, um, that has come down somewhat. It's also, if we look at the, the percentage positive, um, that has gone up, which tells me we are testing the people who are most at risk. So Dr. Bonnie Henry's uh, testing strategy will continue to evolve. The tests will likely increase in number in the days ahead, I'm told by Health Minister Adrian Dix. I want to throw one more number at you folks. It's a, it's a good number. We always focus on the number of people in hospital, right now 149. But looking at the BC Centre for Disease Control website, you can do some calculations. 83 people have been in hospital. They've all left hospital and presumably are resting at home. So that's a good, good number to end my report on. All right. Good to hear. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. Well, some other numbers from the BC Centre for Disease Control bring to light another troubling aspect of this outbreak. Officials simply don't know how more than a quarter of COVID-19 patients were exposed. The BC CDC numbers show that between January 1st and March 31st, 14% were exposed locally at a communal location like a care facility. 16% were exposed locally through some other kind of close contact. 21% were exposed through international travel. But fully 27% were contracted through an unknown exposure. The CDC is still awaiting data on 22% of the cases. Part of dealing with this pandemic is finding space to move other hospital patients right now so that those freed up beds can be used by COVID-19 patients. Jordan Armstrong is live at the Vancouver Trade and Convention Centre where setup is underway. Jordan, how is this going to work? Sophie, it's important to stress they will decide who gets treated here. This is not a public emergency department. They don't want people just showing up. Now, ironically, the Convention Center West Building, that's the newer Convention Center, was the site of one of B.C.'s first outbreaks of COVID-19. That was last month during the Pacific Dental Conference. Now the building is being reconfigured to take some of the pressure off the health care system should COVID-19 overwhelm our permanent hospitals. Exhibit Hall's A. A, B, and C will house a total of 271 beds. There would be doctors, nurses, care aides, and respiratory therapists ready to assist patients. These would be less acute patients who do not have COVID-19, but require hospitalization or treatment for some other issue. The patients would have been referred and transferred from a permanent hospital. All medical staff and the staff providing care to patients or other supports at the alternative care site will have clear protocols for personal protective equipment, or PPE, and will practice appropriate infection prevention and control measures. Patients receiving care at the alternative care site will be directly transferred in from a referring hospital. The site is not accessible by the public. So the Red Cross is helping with setup and providing some of the equipment. They'll have it ready by next Wednesday if required. It might never be used, but it'll be here as a backup. Sophie? Well, hopefully it won't be. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. It's a rule we've been living with for several weeks now. Canadians returning from abroad must self-isolate for at least two weeks. But with tens of thousands of British Columbians still coming home from overseas, both the Prime Minister and B.C.'s Health Minister are now pleading with people to follow that rule, and they're not ruling out some sort of enforcement in the future. Aaron MacArthur reports. 
there are still tens of thousands of Canadians overseas needing a flight home. India, the latest country where rescue flights have been organized. And aside from asking those travelers to self-isolate, health officials in BC urging everyone to avoid all travel now. And there are many of our smaller communities that are very concerned about people coming for, uh, to vacation homes, to fishing lodges, etc. And I am asking people now to uh, forego those types of travel. The provincial government demanding that the Quarantine Act is enforced. Travelers need to be more than simply reminded to stay home. The excuse of whether people were adequately contacted at the airport or not is not an excuse for people not to comply with the order. Under the Quarantine Act, there can be severe consequences. Fines of up to $750,000 or six months in jail. Health Canada has promised spot inspections, but it seems mostly Canada is working on the honour system. In countries like South Korea and Singapore, cell phone data is being tracked to trace contacts and enforce quarantines. While it appears to be working, technology experts say the system is easy to cheat. Simply leave the phone at home. Even before we ask the privacy question, the question is, is it really effective? Is it really the best thing we could be doing? And I think right now the answer is no, not really. I think the most effective things are the simple things. People's movements are already being curtailed domestically. Provincial borders are being patrolled. Airlines and trains restricting people with symptoms from traveling. There are more restrictions possible. Only implemented, though, if the minority of people fail to grasp the significance of not complying with health authorities. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A squat in Surrey by homeless people and their supporters is now over. The group took over the North Surrey Recreation Centre yesterday. The squatters argued that in light of the pandemic, the shuttered rec centre was the safest place available to live. They add shelters and modular housing buildings do not allow them to self-isolate. RCMP say officers attended and the group left voluntarily just before 8 last night and there were no arrests. B.C. cities and municipalities are joining the growing number of employers across the country forced to lay off workers because of the pandemic. The city of Delta announced today they furloughed hundreds of employees. John Waugh has details, including the other cities also forced to issue layoff notices. As businesses continue to suffer and the future remains up in the air, layoffs have become a common symptom of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can't keep people employed when there's no work. So sadly, uh, we had to uh, let them go. Not even municipal governments seem to be immune. The city of Delta making the tough decision to lay off around 500 employees, mostly auxiliary and temporary workers in recreation. We rely on patrons insofar as revenue to support uh, so that not much of the tax dollar all has to go into those facilities. That's gone. For now, some full-time employees in Delta will be shifted to other departments like food services and daycare to stave off another round of workforce reductions. Is it outside of our comfort zones? Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, give it to our members. I mean, they're adapting. In Vancouver, COVID-19 has caused the city to cut 1,500 temporary jobs to date. Up to 42 days of pay and extended benefits for three months being offered to those affected. I know so many self-employed people who are suffering and, you know, they, they don't have a lot of option for, um, you know, how they can be supported. A similar number is being reported for layoffs by the city of Surrey, proving there's little job security even in the public sector. 
I don't know what there is to do though, but you gotta keep people working. In Coquitlam, out of work staff are being shifted to community outreach and education on pandemic protocols like social distancing. There's no question that those job decisions will be coming and, uh, and they're challenging decisions. Every city is efforting to think out of the box to keep staff employed during these uncertain times. This has been the toughest decision I've ever been part of and I think people there's there's more questions than answers and that's for us as well. Because like those in the private sector how this pandemic is going to play out municipal governments just don't know. John Hua Global News. If you're struggling to lose weight you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In the meantime, restaurants are definitely feeling the impact of the coronavirus crisis. Social distancing has been devastating for the industry. Already about one in 10 BC restaurants have been forced to shut their doors and many of them won't survive. Paul Johnson reports. We do a great brunch, our weekend brunches are really fun. At Barney's on Main these days, the only reason to touch the knobs on the grill is to make sure they're off. On a good day, keeping a restaurant open and running in Vancouver is sometimes close to impossible. Barney's has been a neighborhood fixture for 13 years. But even with that kind of presence in the community, GM Robin Edwards has no idea what things will look like in a few months. She's not at all surprised to hear that Restaurants Canada is saying almost 10% of BC's restaurants are effectively out of business. The survey said 9%, but you know, this is evolving every single day. Mark von Schelwitz says their survey revealed a number of somber metrics including that more than 120,000 restaurant jobs were lost in B.C. in March alone. And they expect that's just the beginning. As April 1st came along yesterday, I know that there's a lot of restaurateurs that, with no income coming in, just don't have the money to pay these quite substantial rent and lease payments. Flexibility from landlords on rent is one of the most effective things that can be done to help Canada's restaurants survive, he says. Government help will be needed, and consumers, he says, will need to do their part as well. Please, uh, you know, still try and, and, and order from those your local favorite restaurants. Also buy gift cards, help them with any sort of cash flow. Back at Barney's, they're thankful they have a powerful advantage. They own their own building. But in a sector where one in three go out of business in a normal year, it's way too early to feel confident about anything. Even if we're only closed for a month or two, it's going to take another six months to even remotely get back to where we were. Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, some restaurants and food service companies that are shut down during this crisis are using their downtime to do their part to help. As Nadia Stewart reports, they're making special deliveries for frontline healthcare workers directly to hospitals. Up until now, Imad Yakub says all of his restaurant's kitchens have been quiet. Caught up in the COVID-19 closures, the CEO of the Global Group says they were forced to lay off about 900 workers. We fired one of our kitchens. Uh, we got some of our staff back. We're trying to create uh, 
some community help uh, because we know that they need it badly. So when he put out the call to his contacts to help make this happen. We were overwhelmed with lots of the great uh, sponsorships. Uh, we have some, uh, some of the known families in Vancouver, uh, construction families that they were actually very, they were very happy. The minute I send them the email, I haven't got one of them saying no. Everyone eager to cover the cost of ready-to-eat meals for frontline healthcare workers, prepackaged and prepared in a kitchen meeting food safety standards. Thursday's delivery is destined for St. Paul's. We're getting lots of hospitals being contacting us now, and we're working on making sure to be able to uh, to fulfill the, all the needs. Donations from the community are also filling the hunger gap at Surrey Memorial Hospital. 30,000 meals will be delivered this month. It's a, a classic Indian food, so we have some sabji, we got some dal. 900 meals delivered Thursday, with more on the way. And it's honestly the least that we could do is just make sure that all the members here at the Surrey Memorial Hospital are fed. We felt if we need to look after our healthcare workers and providing them with nourishing meals on a regular basis is an important part of that. And donors are making that happen here in Surrey. Nadia Stork, Global News. With layoffs and lost wages, food banks are being overrun with new requests. The Central Okanagan Food Bank says demand has never been higher in its more than 30-year history. The number of clients is up 40%, including people who thought they'd never be calling on a food bank. And they know it's probably only going to get worse. With the layoffs and then when people get their last check, then all of a sudden uh, we, we do anticipate that the need is going to go up in the next two or three weeks. Uh, that is a guarantee. Food banks say now, more than ever, they desperately need donors to step up so they can meet that skyrocketing demand. Both people around the globe staying at home right now, there's been a surge in the popularity of video conferencing apps. Zoom has emerged as one of the most popular, but beware, you might get some uninvited guests. Consumer Matters specialist Andrew shows us how hackers are taking advantage, Anne. Yeah, Chris, it's called Zoom bombing. It means that a complete stranger can come in and disrupt a virtual meeting. Hackers have been random guessing Zoom meeting numbers and crashing the party, so to speak, sometimes just to make trouble, but other times to post offensive content or malware. The video conference service has gone from hosting 10 million meetings a day a year ago to over 200 meetings these days as more of us stay at home. And that has given hackers plenty of opportunity. This week, the company addressed security with new updates for its app, but cybersecurity experts say a lot of what happens to your privacy on Zoom is up to you by reviewing your settings. There's a setting that you can say uh, disable join before host. That means that people can't come into your meeting room and wait until you're going to have a meeting, like uh, you have to approve people to come in. Um, you can disable file transfers so people can't upload malicious files or photos or offensive content. And uh, there's also a setting called uh, allow removed participants to rejoin. And you should disable that as well so that if somebody does join your meeting and you boot them out, they can't just come right back. And uh, a lot of people by default, their Zoom meetings are quite open to make it very easy for people to participate. But unfortunately, uh, pranksters are abusing that trust. 
Now, if you are doing something confidential, experts suggest you can add a password to your meeting that will prevent people from joining unless they know that password. Others suggest you use FaceTime, which has end-to-end encryption. Also, if you get a prompt on your computer to upgrade, experts say you'll want to do that because Zoom has done some fixes in recent days for minor vulnerabilities. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Anne. There are mounting concerns about how those on low income and disability assistance will survive the crisis. Today, the provincial government announced a top-up on their assistance checks for the next three months. But as Richard Zussman reports, it's not alleviating all of their fears. It's an announcement Catherine Richardson was desperately awaiting and has left her deeply disappointed. I think at a minimum we should be given $2,000 a month like the rest of the country is being given. And the problem here is that this is just a short-term thing. We need to be at an equal level and we need to be at an equal level permanently. Richardson lives on disability, receiving support due to an autoimmune disease. The province offering her and around 205,000 other British Columbians an additional $300 a month for the next three months. Those people on income assistance or those people on disability assistance in our province will be supported moving forward with this crisis supplement. Disability payments going up from around $1,200 a month to around $1,500. Those on disability, including Brent Frayne and Sonia Grandall, quick to point out the checks won't be arriving until April 22nd. No reason for them to have it that late. Okay, so when, when would you need it? Uh, as soon as possible. I think that the, uh, they should have an immediate um, relief uh, fund uh, set up. The top-up also going to low-income seniors. What those on income and disability assistance will not be eligible for is the $500 renter's grant the province brought in to help those out of work. People on social assistance will get thousands of dollars below the poverty line. They will still be living in poverty even with the crisis supplement. On top of that, most on disability are not eligible for the $2,000 monthly federal government income benefit. Adding to the struggle for Richardson and others is many of the services they rely on are no longer accessible. A lot of us are in the vulnerable population and we're not able to go out and wait in line in a food bank right now. The province does have some additional crisis supports available, but those on disability don't want to rely on those, asking just to receive the same amount of financial support as so many others. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.